Oh, let's uh, let's start by praying. Let's just commit this time to God. We just thank you. Oh, we were just talking as a music group beforehand. There used to be Sundays where we'd wonder if God showed up, and we don't have that anymore. When we come and we put out our hands before our amazing Jesus, we know that we're going to meet with Him. Yeah. That is amazing. So we invite you once again, Jesus, come and have your way amongst us. Come and speak through me. Come and let us just listen all together in our hearts to your word today. Amen. Steve started off quite awesomely last week, our new series for uh, the summer uh, series of sermons, the I Am Sayings of Jesus. And he started off from Exodus where uh, God meets the Israelites. He met Moses first in the burning bush. And Moses said, who are you? And he said, I am who I am. And Steve, Fred, you'll have to go and listen to the recording if you missed it. Really quite brilliantly just expanded on that. Thank you very much. Uh, So I get to do the first of the uh, John teachings of uh, what Jesus said. Sorry, I am drunk. Let me just get my words in the right order. We're going to be looking at Jesus saying, I am the bread of life today. And that's going to be awesome. I even put in here, I'm passionate about Jesus. Um, I think that comes across, hopefully. So let the word of God speak to us today. You know, I think maybe one of the risks with our wonderful music, if I dare say so myself, that it can be emotion. Um, and I just want us to meet the real Jesus today. Honestly, I think we did really in worship, didn't we? And I want him to amaze us. I want him to inspire us, but I want him to challenge us. Dare I say even offend us. And I think that's the purpose of the series, that we may meet Jesus for who he really is. We're going to be going through the I Am Sayings from the book of John, as I said. John gives us a clue as to why the book was even written. John 20 says, this is written that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Do you hear that? You may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So today, I'm going to do that by comparing Jesus to a loaf of bread. Is this going to help us understand that Jesus is the Messiah? I hope so. A loaf of bread. Let's see how we go. We're going to go really rather quickly through John 6 today. There's 70 verses in there, so I'm just going to have to pick piecemeal out of it. It's such a rich passage, so forgive me, particularly Joe at the front, because I can't cover it all. So I can only speak what God has put on my heart, but I'm slightly in awe what's in there. And it launches off with a story very familiar to all of us, the feeding of 5,000, a supernatural miracle. We like those. John 1, uh, 6, 1 to 15. Where are we going to buy bread for all these people? Jesus tests his disciples, and he starts with a boy responding with his five barley loaves and two fish, and he makes the 20,000 people sit down on the side of the hill. Jesus gives thanks, distributes it, and they all eat their fill. And they gather 12 baskets of leftovers. What's their response? And I think the response is the question today. How do we respond to Jesus? Their response, verse 14. This is the prophet who is to come into the world. 
John 6 also has walking on the water. I'm going to have to skip over that bit, maybe for another day. But they try and track him down on the other side of the lake. And we find them in verse 25, finding Jesus. And Jesus says to them, very truly, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. What's our response to Jesus? And then we have this massive discourse. And again, I can only take a portion of it today. It starts off. Jesus encourages us. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they ask him, now listen to this. What must we do to do the works God requires? That's the launch pad for the talk today. We have a crowd of people that have come to Jesus. And there's so many different responses to him in that crowd. Some like the food. Bread and fish. Maybe you're here today. What can Jesus do for me? Some thought him like a political messiah. Dare I say, some of us are praying for one of those today. Oh, I had to hold that in. Uh, it slipped out. <laughs> Some responses to Jesus are looking to do the right works. Get the ethic right. Got to do this, that and the other. Why do I come to Jesus? Why do you come to Jesus? What is Jesus' answer? He puts it in black and white for us. Verse 29. The work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. And the passage launches into this as a, using a picture of bread. Do you like, do you like my loaf of bread? Have you, I can smell it. I don't know if you can smell it. It's all fresh, so it's kind of still kind of slightly warm. Is your believing a bit like looking at a loaf of bread? What do you think is the purpose of a loaf of bread? Surely to be eaten. I've got no other point. (laughs) (laughs) Believing is being equated to eating bread. It's not just there to be looked at. All right, I've got two points. One is to be satisfied by the bread of life. But I actually want to look at a second point is, is Jesus actually offensive as well? And just the challenge that comes. I've been really challenged behind this. So let's get started on that then. We'll carry on down John 6. We're at verse 30 to 40, which should come up on the, on the screens there. So they asked him. So we've got this discourse going on between the crowd, the Jews, and Jesus, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus said to them, very truly, underlining it, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Further down, verse 40. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at that last day. So are we satisfied in Jesus, the bread of life, to this day? Just kind of want to set the scene, you know, people are still debating who this Jesus Christ is. Is he just a good man? Is he a prophet? Is he God? And the response to Jesus is still um, being debated, still confusing. Uh, If I had to bring a C.S. Lewis quote into this, you'll know it probably quite well. But he says the following, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, he says, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd be a lunatic or else he would be the devil of hell. And you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. He goes on. You cannot shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any of this patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He's not left this open to us. And he did not intend to. Now, C.S. Lewis can say things that I can't, but when we get into uh, this gospel here, we see that Jesus is very clearly claiming to be God. He knows who he thinks he is there. And I know that we've been around maybe church for a while, but maybe it just needs to be confessed to us who he is. Maybe this is your first time here. Maybe you've not met Jesus. He doesn't claim to be a good teacher. If you've got any doubts of that, Listen to what he's about to say. So first of all, Jesus is now challenged. We see that Jesus say, look, we've had manna. We've had a really good sign from God. It fed two million Israelites for 40 years, crediting Moses as our prophet. Beat that, Jesus. That's the challenge. So his response is to that. The rabbis would claim that the Messiah would bring bread from heaven. And I'll just go through them really quickly. Verse 32, he says, my father, God, gives this bread. Verse 33, he is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 35, I am the bread of life. 40, believe in him will lead to eternal life. It's responding to the challenge of being like a sign of manna in the desert. No, I'm God. I am the bread of life. Now, again, if you've not heard Steve last week, he was superb. Just trying to get the feeling of what it was like to hear Jesus say those words, I am. I can't do justice to that, but there's this really beautiful bit at the end of the Gospel of John, about John 18, and it's where they were coming to arrest him, actually, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, right, where's Jesus? Where is he? And he says, I am he. Their response, they fell back. In awe. For me, that kind of sums up what they would have felt as he said, I am. That's the impetus. That's the motivation behind it. Make no mistake, Jesus knows what he's claiming here. And already we see the Jews start to grumble, but we'll come back to that later. So on the other hand, I am. Meet God. 
describes himself as the bread of life. So on the other hand, there's an appeal. It's an appeal to us today. Yes, he's comparing himself to manna, to bread in the desert that fed them. But we know any food is only a temporary satisfaction. Any parent here will know you can feed a child and they're saying, I'm hungry within about 30 seconds of finishing the meal. Food does not, <laughs> does not satisfy. And bread is not just to be looked at. In some ways I find this as shocking as Jesus claimed to be God. And actually we're to come <laughs> participate in the divine nature is one way that one Peter puts it. That Jesus might actually be our satisfaction. Let me read it again. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. And we've got like this comparison from John 4 and indeed uh, the water into wine that Rob <coughs> preached on. You know, drinking living water or wine. That is refreshing. It brings joy. We've got that water picture, but we've got bread. What is bread? Why is that different? What is it expressing here? Just a few examples. We uh, had a Spanish student stay with us uh, a few years back. She actually came here a handful of times. And uh, she said to us one dinner time, she says, you don't eat much bread, do you? I was sat there thinking, well, we've got garlic bread and pizza here. Um, we're eating bread. We had bread for lunch. Which is just kind of saying something that's a bit more cultural as Spanish literally have bread the whole time you know whether it's breakfast whether you know you've got massive life to go on the side of you uh i don't know trying to pick up a paella there you go <laughs> it's a very typical spanish meal and it just it's just an interesting thing isn't it okay maybe culturally we think of a bit of bread and maybe we think of it in a british sense that it's just a single piece of garlic bread on the side or is it a fundamental base of your meal So I said about my kids already been been hungry, um, and I'm not going to name which one, but you know one of them you know will have our lunch time and and you look around and there's empty plates as the Marshall way as a rule, uh, but one of them there's just two bits of bread left, and you think you've just gone and eaten the filling and you know being good parents no you have to eat your, the bread as well and you know why we do that as parents because she will given her away, narrowed it down slightly, <laughs> she'll be hungry again shortly, right? She will be. And so I'm just thinking, you know, the bread is the foundation. If we don't have bread, as a teenager, my mum would just keep giving me bread, trying to fill me up because I would just keep eating. Does that help us understand what Jesus is on about a little bit? Bread is like a foundation. It's a filling it's a satisfaction. You know what? And so I started thinking about what it means to actually be a Christian. And it almost starts redefining that for us. I don't know how you became a Christian. Do you say the sinner's prayer? Man, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's a one-off activity. God, I'm sorry for the way I've been living. I turn my life around. I want to follow you. You become a Christian. Is that what it means? We've already looked at a verse today. Believe in Jesus. That's the word of God. That's what it says. Believe in Jesus. Is being a Christian just an ongoing belief system? The other example, the Jews were asking, you know, what works do we need to do? Is being good being a Christian? I've got a slightly embarrassing example for this. I am 
uh, still marginally mortified about this to this day. I was helping out on an Alpha course a, a, a while back, and someone asked me, how much time does it take to be a Christian? Being a rather logical guy, I start doing the calculation, and I, I did answer, and I walk away afterwards and think, that's the wrong question, isn't it? If we're thinking about activity and we're thinking about you know, what you're doing, oh, so gutted. Uh, thankfully, God is sovereign, the guy is a Christian, and he has given his life to Jesus. But what do we have here? Jesus saying, I'm the bread of life. He's equating believing in Jesus as something very proactive. We come as a, to become a Christian, we take hold of the bread of life. We bite into it. He is all we need. But surely, this is past its best tomorrow. Surely it's a day-by-day activity to find our satisfaction in Jesus. It's about having a spiritual appetite that is satisfied in him. It is not an ethic or a code of conduct. It's ongoing, day-by-day, coming to him and feasting. Their bread would be past its best by lunchtime, probably. You want it fresh every day. That is the invitation. And obviously, we won't have too much time today to look at it. It ultimately leads to eternal life. Sometimes eternal life, living forever, just feels very vague. But this starts to also make that look more tangible, too. If we start thinking about him being the bread of life, we're starting to think about an ultimate, a permanent satisfaction, eternal satisfaction in Jesus. So Revelation describes a wedding banquet. Revelation 7, never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. This is Jesus. The Jesus presented before us is our satisfaction. Am I overstating this? Am I too obsessed with how central Jesus is. I go to the teacher, theologian, John Piper. He says, believing in Jesus is a feeding and drinking from all that Jesus is. It goes so far as to say that our soul thirst is satisfied with Jesus, so we don't thirst anymore. He is the end of our quest for satisfaction. How do you respond to that? I've got a few questions but can I just, as I go through these, can I just ask you to engage with Jesus and start just receiving from him? I wanted to kind of ask the question, how, how do we eat the bread of life? I thought if I gave you answers, you could end up doing what Jesus said. Well, what do I need to do? It's not an activity, is it? It's about spiritual appetite. And anyway, my commentary highly recommended, Carter, he says, we're more familiar with this kind of eating metaphor than we may realise. We devour books, drink in lectures, swallow stories, chew over a matter, doting grandparents declare they could eat up their grandchildren as well. (laughs) How do we eat on Jesus? I'm just going to really annoy you now. I just think sometimes it's great to have this kind of bread as an illustration. Because it's really chewy. And it takes a lot of time. And it's really hard to swallow when you've been talking for a while. (laughs) And you've got to carry on talking, so I'll stop. You get my point. It's actually a question of spending a bit of time. 
asking how your heart is. How healthy is your appetite for him? Give me a moment. We don't need anything else, Rob. (laughs) How healthy is your appetite for him? I'm looking at lots of notes and they don't make sense. How healthy is your appetite for him? That's the question. Holy Spirit, come and and just kind of really call us in. You're wanting a people that are 100% for you. This passage echoes Isaiah 55. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. <laughs> Why spend money on what is not bread and your, and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen to me, eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest affair. What do you seek satisfaction in? I'm looking at at that row there, I'm sorry, but um, maybe the younger amongst us, you've got such an exciting time in life and discover immense appetites for life. And no doubt you'll have seen friends filling their appetites in other ways. And they drink, sex, whatever it is, fashion, selfies, I don't know what. Well, the latest thing is I'm too old. But... As the Rolling Stones memorably screamed, I can't get no satisfaction, is still the cry of this generation. And I want to, this is such an exciting time for you to give all. Give your all to Jesus. I encourage you to find your fulfillment in him. How healthy is your appetite? What happens when I'm not hungry? (laughs) I asked for prayer from my uh, life group um, a week ago. Not because... You'll be pleased to hear that I've backslidden or given up on the faith. But I just feel so challenged by this, that Jesus is looking for 100% in us, that we'd find 100% of our satisfaction in him. He creates such a longing. And I'm just so aware I can be, whether it's busyness or whether I lean on other comforts, and maybe it's finances, hey, maybe it's an occasional beer after work. Just to try and wind down. Maybe it's too much time on Facebook. Maybe I'm turning to other things. And I ask for prayer. I want to be flat out for Jesus. How healthy is your appetite? If you're not feeling hungry, what do you do? Well, don't get full on junk food. <laughs> That's not just sin, is it? And It was brilliant being able to go and look at that in worship just now. It's not about just sin. It's anything that gets in the way and tries to fill you up instead of Jesus. I think mobile phones. <laughs> Maybe that's my confession to you. So what gets in the way of him? Look, I, I've got to move on. I think you get the point. Jesus sets himself up as our satisfaction. Bold claim. You may be slightly offended at that. He keeps pushing this picture, and we're going to go through that. You think, okay, you've made your point, Jesus, you have. But I'm just going to listen, uh, list the, the, the Jewish response as Jesus keeps pushing this message. We're going to go on to the offence. So verse 41, the Jews began to grumble. 
Are you? You find in Jesus too egotistical. Verse 52, the Jews began to argue sharply. Verse 60, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Carrying on down, 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus pushes this pretty hard. So what's going on here? I can't do the whole discourse, but verse 53, I think, uh, summarizes it really well. Jesus said to them, very truly, starts with that underline it again, listen to this. I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. And then he summarizes, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. I'm stood here and thinking, Jesus, you kind of made your point. And then it goes a bit gross. Why eat flesh? Now, the interesting thing is that, you know, other passages, the synoptic gospels from Matthew, Mark and Luke, they'll use the word body and and they'll use it in the context of maybe uh, communion or the Lord's Supper. And I think we probably go too quickly to that as our explanation. But let's pause, right? Because the Jews got that face value. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Get the shock of that. You go to the next slide. I like to fit in Lord of the Rings examples. Trying to get some reaction out of you. You like that bit where Gollum gets a raw fish and it's meant to gross you out because you see him biting into it and the flesh being torn off this fish. Slightly gross. I hope it's a little bit gross, but not too gross for uh, the English church. But you get the, the idea. It's meant to shock us slightly. And you're starting to get a picture of Jesus. You know, he's saying, I am, I'm God. But you're starting to see a mortality there as well. I am man. Ultimately, fatality, he died. It starts to point to his sacrifice. But Jesus, why drink blood? Right? When was the last time you heard this read out as an inspiration to worship in Jubilee? Who, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You know, we go to John 4 or water into wine. Come and drink from the well. The refreshing, far less offensive. Why, Jesus, do you do this? Why say, come and drink my blood? The request to eat his flesh, the golem picture was unpalatable and gross. Drinking his blood directly offends the listeners. Now, I know some will like a blood oozing out of a steak, but even today, maybe that's unpleasant to hear in a sermon. I'm hoping any vegetarians here are not put off their lunch. But to the Jew, the law forbade drinking blood. Specifically, you find it there in Deuteronomy. Don't eat the blood. Listen to this. Why? For the blood is the life. Jesus is starting to point to it, the, the uh, sacrifice he was going to give. But you stood there and you think, Jesus, why? You know, can we take him through our seeker-sensitive training session so that he doesn't push people away? This is not how to get followers. 
You know, the Romans for decades afterwards were accusing Christians of being cannibals because of this kind of thing. But Jesus was not shy about offending people. Why? He didn't want people left sat on the fence. He wanted people wholeheartedly after him. And he pushes for a response. He pushes hard. What is your response to Jesus? Some end up leaving. That's how much he wants the whole of me. That he's prepared to push and push. Like, does that offend you? Half of this was preached earlier. Does this offend us today? The offence of the cross was mentioned, wasn't it? An amazing offence. But it's an offence that says we have to lay down our pride. We have to admit that maybe we're not in control. Control's a big one, isn't it? Maybe you have to give up your, your need to understand. We prayed for healing. We didn't see it happen, Jesus. Are you prepared to give that up? But as I say, ultimately, it's giving up your trusting in your own ability, isn't it? I think my heart, apart from saying, let's go 100% for this, was that we let Jesus be Jesus. That we don't come and we don't worship someone that's made in our image. But we let Jesus state it pretty black and white to us. Do you let Jesus be Jesus? Right, we need to move on. It comes ultimately to the cross, doesn't it? The ultimate offence of Jesus. Admitting without him we are helpless. A horrible, sinful mess. We are empty. We need a saviour. So we have to give everything. We come with empty hands. We come on our knees. We come and say, I need you. To gain eternal satisfaction. To eternally feast on Jesus. We have to turn away from the attempts of the world to placate and meet our desires. And Jesus is... The fulfillment, right? This story is set in the time of Passover. They would have been thinking about the blood of the Lamb that allowed them to go free, leave Egypt, the slavery. Jesus is that fulfillment, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He ultimately gave everything for our satisfaction. He gave his flesh and his blood, literally, Death on a cross. So we've got this beautiful exchange going on. We come with nothing, we give our all. But that we may feed daily on him. He's given himself the sacrifice of living bread that we may live. And whilst this passage itself doesn't actually go on to talk about communion or the breaking of bread, I hope that this talk will just kind of shock you a little bit more when we do do communion. Um, and just jolt us to, just to see the offence again that Jesus is and the satisfaction. So what's our response? 
John 6, right towards the end, verse 67. Jesus asks the twelve, you do not want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know you are the Holy One of God. What wonderful words of faith. They're words of surrender. They're words that say, I don't understand it all, but I believe you're my satisfaction. So I set out to explain the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. But it's not a belief that's just up there. It's a belief that is eating, eating of Jesus. With no room left for a Christianity that is just a ticket to heaven or a belief system or an ethic. It's an active participation in all that Jesus is for us. It is Jesus-centric satisfaction. How healthy is your appetite for Jesus?